everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. That's awesome. Uh, if, that's, if, if you're interested in baptism, maybe you have a story like Jenna's, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I've been waiting for this whole time. Maybe you're somebody who's uh, just a new follower of Jesus. Um, we'll be getting to this idea of baptism as we get a little bit further into the book of Matthew. But if you're interested in that, you can track down Dan um, after the service today and ask him a little bit about how that process works here at Discovery. Uh, well, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at Discovery, and um, I, I'm a dad. Um, I have three little boys. Uh, we're 12, 10, and 5 now at my house, but when my youngest son, Oaks, this was last year, um, he was just about the three, just turning four age range. He was old enough that we could walk to his big brother's elementary school to pick them up. Now, their school's about an hour away, and I grew up walking to school, uh, uphill both ways in the snow. Um, and and I, like, I would love for my kids to walk to school. The only issue with us is that they would have to cross a major road, which for elementary school, it's like, we're, we're not going to do that. Um, but Oaks was getting big enough that if I was with them, and if I was with Oaks, we could go walk to pick them up from school at the end of the day, and then we could all walk home together, and that felt good. So last year, we're making this trek. We had just gotten a new puppy. So I've got this little puppy, Booker, is on a leash. So I've got my four boys now with me. And we're coming back from Brogan and Deacon's school. And we're coming up. Brogan and Deacon and I are having this discussion. All of a sudden, Booker takes off one way. We're coming, uh, we're coming to 112th Avenue, which is right next to my house. This is a busy street. The, the speed limit is 50 miles per hour. And as we come up to this intersection, I want you to know before I get any further in, this, everything ends fine. Um, this may trigger, I'm serious, this may trigger a couple of parents in the room. Um, the dog goes one way, I'm talking with another kid, and Oaks, who's now made this journey a handful of times, knows that as soon as we get to the street, like, we can go because he's never been me. Like, he doesn't know that when we've come to the street before that I'm the one who's like, you know, I'm like a, like a German short hair pointer, like where the, where the cars, where the cars, we're good, go. He doesn't know that. He hasn't learned that yet. All he knows is, oh, when we get here, we just keep going. And in fact, because it's kind of a long cross, when we get here, we don't just keep walking. We kind of high step it a little bit to get through. Booker takes off one way. I'm talking with Brogan and Deacon. We're coming up to 112th, and all of a sudden, he starts running and does not see coming 50 miles per hour a car that's coming right at him. And in a moment of like pure fatherhood, I yell, Oaks, no! And that kid like stops in his tracks. And I like, I'm sprinting at him at this point. I grab him by his clothes and I'm pulling him back as this car whizzes by. It was in about five feet. So like we were safe, but that's uncomfortable as a parent. Like my kid almost got hurt and I yelled. And I don't know if you've had moments like this as a parent, but you don't yell because you're angry. You don't yell because you want to shame your kid. You yell because you love them so much. And in a moment of sheer terror, love manifests itself in warning. And I think there's been a lot who have yelled out in warning out of love over human history. And one of those yells uh, comes from a great American uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holds a great record for some of the best yells in America. Um, 
There's a quote that he loved. He, he loved it so much, he actually used it six times. It was recycled quote for him. And he loved to point it out. It first shows up uh, in a letter that he wrote in 1958 that would later um, be collected together in a group of his letters uh, called the Letters from the Birmingham Jail. Shows up in multiple speeches of his um, in that letter in 1958, but then in 59 and 63 and 64, 66 and 69. And the quote goes like this. In an era of civil rights, we're fighting for racial equality. He says, we yearn for brotherhood and respect, and we want to join hands with you to build a freer, happier land for all. If you fail to act now, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good. When all are cared for, that's what we're trying to fight for. When all are respected, not just to a level of tolerance, but to dignity. But not just dignity from arm's length, but dignity to a level of belonging, and not just belonging, but belonging to the level of brotherhood, of family. That's what we're fighting for. Are you vocal about it? Do you care about it? And this family that we're trying to form is not predicated on race or ability or gender or economic status or perceived value, no. This family stems from the fact that every person is seen in light of their shared heavenly father. Will you fight for that? Will you have a voice for that? And in a moment, as a leader of a country, he screams out to his country, no, stop. And it's not a yell that's to provoke fear or shame. It is the guttural moan of love, saying there's something more. We're continuing in our study in the book of Matthew. Today, we're covering chapters 24 and 25. And I think you're going to find through Martin Luther King, through Oaks, into Jesus, this yell that Jesus is offering to his students, to his followers. And then the story we're gonna see right out of the gate, he's got these 12 fellas that are coming to him going, okay, tell us how this works. But they are his students, they are his followers. And I, I want you right out of the gate as best you can to put yourself in the shoes of one of his students or followers and try and picture what this is like. Now, this is a really funny time. Jesus uh, has been in the temple. Um, Jake had us just, oh, so beautifully interacting with a bunch of the Pharisees and Herodians and Sadducees last week, but Jesus has been in the epicenter of Jerusalem, and now he's walking out, he's going down the Kidron Valley, up the next hill, into a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, which overlooks this temple area. And he's just at the beginning of chapter 24, has turned to his students and he said, hey, this temple, like the epicenter, this is like for us, this would be like the White House. The temple is just gonna, it's gonna fall down. And his disciples are both troubled, but also excited because they trust Jesus. And so the first question that we see them asking is, when? When's it gonna happen? But they're, they're frankly, they're not that concerned about when's the temple gonna fall down. The question that they're asking is, Jesus, when will your reign begin? Like, when does this whole thing start? When, when, will it, when will you be king? When will it just be fixed? When does it happen? 
And this is where we're going to find Jesus for the first time directly in Matthew talking about the end times. Now, some of you right away are like, oh, crap. This is beautiful. Everything we're going to read this morning and look at, I hope to you, just wins your heart over. I I hope that as you hear Jesus speak about the end times, which which can be divisive and weird, I hope you hear the guttural moan of a dad saying, I love you. Be careful. This is how it goes. Jesus jumps in right away. Um, he, he says, well, before everything's going to be finished, before those end times, you need to know what's coming for you. And he goes through a list. If you want to read the first, it's most of chapter 24. Uh, you can see all of these things come out. But this is what he says. You know, what, there's, before the end times, people are going to claim to be the chosen one. They're going to claim to be the Messiah, the one who can come back and set all things right, which it takes like one election season to see a bunch of people claiming to be the chosen one, right? He says there's going to be a lot of wars. There's going to be a lot of famines. There's going to be earthquakes, natural disasters, and those are like just the Braxton Hicks contractions to this baby being born. Like that's just the beginning. You're going to see that the followers of Jesus, they're going to be tortured, they're going to be killed, they're going to be hated by every nation. You're going to see people who have been followers fall away, and, and not just fall away, but you're going to see them betray each other and hate each other. Then there's going to be more false prophets, more people coming along that are trying to, to lead people to peddle something that's not true. You're going to see an increase in lawlessness, and then, and then he's, he just makes a statement, and this is in the Revised Standard Version. He says, and their love will grow cold. And just as a quick aside, in all of these warnings, I I think you're probably looking at this going, that looks like today's newspaper. (laughs) Like, is that going on? And I want you to know right now, the first thing that he's going to start out with is saying, look, nobody knows when the Father, like when the time will come. So stop, like don't waste your time trying to figure that out. But what gets to you? Like, as somebody who's experiencing the day in and day out of life, when you look at that list of things, what are the things you go, that just makes me despair or lose hope or doubt? Because those are all things that Jesus says, beware of these things coming. It's the beginning of his yell. Be careful. And if none of these things bother you, I would invite you to look at them more squarely because they're deeply troubling. And the fact that Jesus knew that they were coming is deeply troubling. But here's what we're going to get into today. That's just what Jesus says. That will happen beforehand. We want to look at what does that mean for us now? And we're going to start looking at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to jump in at verse 26. And Jesus says this. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness. Don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms. This is like if he's in the temple or he's in this place. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Okay, there's a lot packed into this that we're not going to have time to jump into. Life groups, you, I, like, I've got a playground set up for you when you jump into your group this week. Jesus is pulling a ton from Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. You can check that out if you want to have a party uh, and see what Jesus is getting at here. But the point of what he's saying is this. His students come to him and they say, when's it going to happen? He gives a long list of warnings, but then essentially he says, you're not going to be able to miss it. It'll be, like, it'll be like a lightning storm. Like nobody misses a lightning storm. You can hear it. You can see it. It covers the entire sky. And if you're outside, and if, I don't know if you've ever been in a setting like this where all of a sudden you look up and you, like, you see all of these birds that are circling, right away you're like, oh, something's happening. <laughs> or, or probably better put, something happened. <laughs> and you're, you just, you can't miss it. Like you immediately know what that means. Jesus is saying, like, all of these things, these false prophets, these wars, like, all these things, they're going to make you wonder. There's going to be these false prophets. When, when it's here, when it's happening, you won't miss it. So don't worry about that. And now we're going to hear him tell a bunch of parables. And they're really beautiful. I'm going to give them to you in rapid fire. But he says this. First, you don't know when the Lord's coming back. You don't know when this is going to happen. So it's like if you were in your house and somebody who was going to rob you sent you a letter and said, hey, this coming Tuesday night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to rob you. You would not be sleeping that Tuesday night at 3 o'clock. You would stay awake. That's his first story. So it's like, okay, so we're not just supposed to wait for the lightning we're supposed to be vigilant, like, like, it, like really be on point for it. But then he goes, let me tell you another one. And these, he's giving them in rapid fire. If you were the servant in a house, and if you knew that the master of that house was coming back, you wouldn't start mistreating all the other servants and creating chaos and mixing it up. Like, that would be, that would be messed up in a lot of ways, but that would set you up for failure. If you're a slave in a house, you're going to be caring and tending, not just for the house, but everybody in it. So, so then the disciples are going, okay, so we're not just supposed to be vigilant, but we're supposed to be concerned about how we're treating people. And Jesus goes, yeah, let me give you another one. In this day and age, when a groom proposed to a bride, uh, he would leave after this proposal, and all of her bridesmaids would wake up every day, and they would wait on the edge of town, because he would eventually come back and as soon as they would see him crest over the hill, they would go sprinting to the bride and say, he's here, the day has come, today's the wedding day. And he tells a story where he goes, look, if you were a bridesmaid waiting for the groom to come, you, you wouldn't just like lay down and take a nap. You, you have to be paying attention, let alone, and, and he talks about there's these preparations that bridesmaids would have to make. You, you wouldn't just take a nap even before you'd made the preparations. You wouldn't do either. Like, you'd prepare, and then you'd wait. And so his disciples are going, okay, so it's not just that we treat people well, but we prepare for Jesus to be with us, not for us to be swept away with Jesus. And Jesus is going, okay, we're getting there. Let me give you one more. If you were in the investment business, and your boss entrusted you with money to invest and make it grow, you wouldn't just sit on it, right? What he left with you, you would grow it. 
It's the business that you're in. So his disciples and now us as his students are going, okay, so we don't just prepare for him to be with us, but we actually take what he's given us and it's our job to expand it, to grow it, to increase it. He's giving the disciples all of these stories in rapid fire and I think they're really apropos for our world today. Because I think the disciples hear him go, it's like lightning or it's like vultures. You're not gonna be able to miss it. And the posture that his, his students immediately assume is, okay, so we stand here and we wait. And we wait. And, and, like, and it, like, that's, that's what they're hearing him say. And he goes, but that's, that's not what I'm getting at. <laughs> I, I want you to wait vigilantly, not with boredom, I want you to wait considering other people. I want you to wait expecting me to come to you, not waiting for me to take you. So, like he's, he's teasing them up for the story and then he, he's gonna land a heck of a punch as he goes, okay, look, let me just make it as plain and as simple as I can. You're not gonna be able to miss it. Keep in mind all of these stories, but now he's gonna level one final story. And this is where we're going to jump into chapter 25, verse 31. Now, there's some things that you need to know about rabbis. Jesus is a teacher. He's a Jewish rabbi. And when they repeat themselves, it's kind of a signal to the students, like, did you catch it the first time? If they repeat themselves a third time, it's kind of like, did you hear me? If they say the same thing four times in a row, like it's like cold bath water, the Gatorade dump, the whole thing. Like, are you awake? Did you hear it? That, like, you, you don't miss the point. So let me read you this story. See if you can pick out the thing that Jesus says four times. You ready for this? Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people, one from the other, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, so you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left hand, I'm sorry that I'm referencing this side of the room. I don't want to assume that you're goats. I'm so sorry about that. On his left hand, you that are the accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Whew, Jesus. We get to the end of Matthew like, Jesus is just now kind of throwing haymakers. Like, this, you're getting the best of the best, which makes total sense to me. If I knew that I had a diagnosis and I only had a few more weeks to live, I would be in, like, leave it all on the field mode. And I don't see Jesus out of rage or out of shame just starting to take slugs at people. I see this heart in him where he's going, ah, no, don't do that. And in this moment where his students are coming to him and going, okay, we do this, right? Is this the right move? He goes, no, 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 that's not the right posture. What are we supposed to be about? I think it's pretty unmissable. If you caught it four different times, he gives the same list. Feed the hungry and the thirsty, both physically and in every other way. Who is this in our world? Who is this in your world? Who's literally shriveling up in their life because they're not being fed anything of substance? And I don't think it's enough to be metaphorical about this. Who's actually just hungry? And have you fed them? You're supposed to welcome the stranger. This is a stab at hospitality, something that's been near and dear to God's heart since the beginning of Scripture. And it's not just be hospitable. It's very clear. Do you welcome the stranger? Do you have a hospitality of the soul that is generous, that greets people around, that literally welcomes them into your home? Do you clothe the naked? I think this one too can be taken 100% literal, which is weird in a first world country and so true in so many places of the world where we can be involved. And I think here too, what does hit near and dear, especially in Denver, where's your heart for the exploited and the abused and the trafficked? Do you see them? Or do you turn a blind eye? Do you care for the sick? Are you afraid to be around brokenness? Are you afraid to be an agent of change in places where there is darkness? Are you around sick people and do you care about them? And finally, this idea of visiting those in prison. Uh, there's two things that Jesus could have been doing here. We gotta remember that the book of Matthew is being written to a group of followers um, about uh, several decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And that that for them to go visit somebody in prison would often mean somebody who's a follower of Jesus who has been imprisoned because they choose to follow Jesus. That's one way to read this. Do you encourage those who are down in their faith, who are being hurt or who are being shut down or oppressed or told to shut up, being shoved in a cell? And again, do we care about those who are just in prison? Are we people who dispense hope and care 
to places that are broken and need, need hope encouraged. I'm con- I, I get concerned for myself. Since we started this sermon series, I think I've been looking at the end of the book of Matthew going, oh, that's so challenging. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that I have what it takes to preach on this stuff. Because this is all stuff that I look at and I like, it, so many times this week, y'all would just sit back in my chair with my arms folded and shake my head and be like, I'm worried. Am I missing it? Is my heart in the right place? Or do I live most of my time just staring up at heaven, waiting for him to come back when the whole time he's been saying, that's not, that's not what I've asked you to do. I think there's a lot of ways that we can be caught looking at this guy these days. I think there's some really bad thinking and bad theology out there that, that someday God's gonna come down, he's gonna rescue us, and he's gonna take us somewhere else. This, this idea of heaven being out there or up above or something like that. When you read the story of scripture, it is painfully clear that God is saying, I am intimately connected to this world. We're gonna change some things. Like we're, we're gonna fix some stuff that's broken. But do you remember the prayer that he taught us to pray back in Matthew chapter five and six and seven? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All along in the story, Jesus has been trying to help his students understand this world matters. The people in this world matter. We're not trying to hit an ejection seat button and get out of this place. We're trying to stay rooted here and bring heaven in. That's our job. So if you're gonna stand looking like this, you've missed the lesson. And I said it four times. Did you hear me? I think there's there's lots of weird stuff out there. I grew up on the Left Behind book series. I think they're awesome. They were so much fun to read. I think they're really poor theology in the end. And as a kid, they really just taught me to like wait wait for things to come back. Because if if he comes back and you're saved, then you don't have to worry about all this chaos. That that's it's that's it's no good. It's, it's not good scripture. Be careful if that's the way that you're living. I think I, I have some friends who, they, they're, like, they're like conspiracy theorists. Like they're trying to solve this formula. I don't know if you have friends like this, but folks who are like, hey, Jesus is coming back like next May 23rd. Just buckle up, it's gonna be crazy. And then that May 23rd comes around and you're like, what the heck, man? <laughs> what are you doing? It's this. Don't. Don't engage that garbage. Most are just waiting. They're just happy because they found the source of life and they would rather just stand around holding it than offer it to those who still need it. What they miss is that God and his kingdom, it's already here. And that their gaze should be out and around rather than up. And that eternity exists in our midst You're not called to wait. You're called to experience him today. Where? By feeding the hungry and the thirsty. By being radically hospitable, even to strangers. By clothing the naked and the abused. By caring for the sick. By encouraging and loving the incarcerated and the most in need of hope and courage. It's a posture that does not wait 
but it's a posture that's rolling up its sleeves, looking around going, okay, where is he? I will go find him there. I'm gonna bring out the band. To remind us of this quote, and I think to revise it just a little bit from Martin Luther King, to make it a little bit more personal, I think it would go like this. If you fail to act now, history will have to record your life as a great tragedy, not because of your strident clamor as a bad person, but your appalling silence as a good one. Life is often a matter of running into places where we're completely unaware of how dangerous they are. Like a little boy running towards the street that he's crossed so many times. And the yell of our Father, these words of warning from Jesus, they're not yelled in a place to strike shame or fear. That's not his intent at all. He loves us. He wants us to be fully alive. So as I end my piece, I would just love to put this in a way that I think Jesus deeply meant it for us to receive. And I would love for you, um, if you're willing, to close your eyes and just receive this and see what of the Holy Spirit may be stirring in you as I read these words that I think were on the tip of Jesus' tongue. I think he would have said it like this. There are many still oppressed, still alone, still suffering and dying needlessly, and many who are being abused and exploited There are so many still treated as illegitimate. Do not stand there staring at the sky. Roll up your sleeves and come find me among our most hurting family. I'll be there. Jesus, in the places where shame and fear want to come in and have their way with this teaching, in myself and my friends here, I just, I want to remember and call out the truth and scream back to you. Shame and fear are not how you parent. They're not how you teach as a rabbi. You may yell, but you will yell in love and warning and compassion and charity in a way that scoops me back into your arms and says, this is what you're always meant to do. Don't forget. And then you send me back out to try again. Jesus, for myself and for this church, I pray for the creativity and the courage and the vision to not stand with arms folded, but to continue to charge towards those who are feeling and who are seen as illegitimate that we can be a part of the healing and the bringing of your kingdom to this good earth. It's in your name.